welcome to our first podcast at Infuse Health. My name is Sammy, and I'm here today with Brett and Melissa. So, Brett, what is your role at Infuse? So, I am the Chief of Academic Partnerships uh, at Infuse Health. So, my role is to get academic institutions to diversify their research portfolios with Infuse's platform. Hi, everyone. I am Melissa Bimi, and I am the founder of Infuse Health. So, Brett, why did you choose to work at Infuse? So I was tired of my current job um, giving COVID vaccines at CVS, um, and I graduated from UB with a master's in public health. Um, So I really wanted to jump into the field of public health, and through a connection that I had, I met Melissa with Infuse Health, um, and she really opened my eyes to the world of research in Africa and showed me how important it is, and I think that is something that I really wanted to be a part of. I agree. I definitely love being a part of Infuse. I think I chose to work here at the s- for the same reasons. I was tired of doing what I was doing at school, and I wanted to venture out and try something new. And Melissa helped me see the importance of what we do here. So I guess that leads me to asking Melissa, what, why did you choose to work or start Infuse? I started this company in 2018. I was fresh out of nursing school, and I was figuring out the next steps for my life. And I hated working as a clinical nurse. That I knew for sure. But my first-hand experience working in healthcare in Africa really gave me a fresh perspective of the problems that patients faced within this healthcare setting. So I teamed up with a friend of mine, and we started building out platform technologies to help address some of the problems that I had faced working as a nurse or while in nursing school. And one of those things was we built a platform that would help recruit blood donors and deliver blood to hospitals that did not have blood banks. After working on this for a year and a half, we decided to pivot to working on recruiting participants for clinical research as we saw researchers being interested in accessing our blood donor database for research. So that's how we started working on this, and that's what we've been doing ever since. So, Melissa, can you give us a summary of what Infuse's mission is? So, our mission is to democratize access to clinical research in Africa. Before any new therapies or medical devices are brought to market, they go through a series of experiments called clinical trials. The purpose of these experiments or clinical trials is to determine the safety and efficacy of these new therapies across different populations. However, There are studies that show that drugs and vaccines and medical devices work on people of different ethnicities and racial backgrounds. And our goal is to ensure that we provide adequate representation of African populations during the studies. That is our goal and that is what drives our mission every day. How do we make sure that we can ensure more diversity and more representation across clinical trials? Where do you see this company headed in the future? You have such great goals now. Is there any bigger aspirations you have for the company? I feel like we're getting into a new era with precision medicine and seeing a lot more targeted therapies being developed um, to target the new ailments and, you know, across different fields of medicine. 
our goal with Infuse is to be able to provide populations that are very specific and that can help researchers in pharmaceutical companies provide highly targeted therapies that are able to work across every population and on everybody from every background. So that's our goal. And, you know, in the future, we really see ourselves becoming this one-stop shop where we can help researchers and help pharma companies access very diverse populations to run clinical trials for very highly targeted therapies. So, Melissa, out of all the regions and continents on, on the planet, why Africa? So, I am from Cameroon in Africa, and I feel that it's important for me to work on things that I care about and things that hit close to home. Africa as a whole is a continent that has been overlooked, and that is because a lot of people don't understand the complexities of dealing with a continent that has 52 countries and over 2,000 languages uh, spoken within the people of this continent. As somebody who was born and grew up in Africa and worked on one of the most challenging problems that Africa faces, which is access to healthcare, I do believe that this is a good place for us to start in order to advance more diversity in clinical trials. So Africa is home to me, and I think that that is important with starting on working on things that you care dearly about, and I care dearly about my home. Yeah, and I think it's important to also talk about how Africa hold, holds about 17% of the global population, and it accounts for less than 1% of representative research. So I think that it's really important what you're doing here. Definitely. Also with the fact on how we need to consider diversity in clinical trials because one study, if you're only researching one demographic, those results can only be applied to that demographic. So by spreading it. Yeah, especially with the FDA draft guidance that was just released, um, really pressing for increased diversity in research. I mean, even though it's just in the United States, it's, it's really something that's going to take hold. And I think that it positions views really uniquely to help people achieve their diversity goals in their research. Absolutely. So we're focusing on Africa and we're promoting diversity in clinical trials, which we've stated is so important. How are we going about it? Melissa, could you explain what the main way, main approach that Infuse has decided to take is? So we do have two main points that we aim to address, and these pain points have been identified thanks to the interactions that we have had with sponsors and researchers. The first problem is that of accessing the population. We're building tools that help with participant recruitment and engagement throughout the duration of the studies or the tr clinical trial period. We're also building tools that help with data collection and data capture. These are the two most pres pressing challenges that we see pharma companies facing with regards to running clinical trials in Africa. And again, I think this is related to the fact that how do you navigate running clinical trials in a population where neighbors living close to each other probably don't even speak the same language? How do you uh, collect data from these people and how do you engage with them over extended periods of time? So those are the two main challenges that we're faced we're facing and helping to address how do we recruit people that fit the eligibility criteria and how do we collect high quality data from these participants. 
So, um, Melissa, you have experience with starting a company and pivoting. So what, what do you think that the largest struggle has been for you in starting and keeping this company going? So the biggest struggle for me starting this company or keeping it going has been my position as being an African woman trying to start a technology company. I do feel that there is a lot of representation bias with women in business and more especially with me being an African woman and choosing this route. According to my grandmother, I should be married. I should have kids. Uh, but here I am in Buffalo r trying to start up a company. So that has been a big challenge that I have had to struggle with. And I believe that a lot of women in my position have had to deal with. Um, but I think that every entrepreneur has had struggles. And for me, that has been one of the biggest struggles. So I got to ask, how did you end up in Buffalo? Yeah. <laughs> Out of all the places, Buffalo, New York. Okay, so uh, we were part of the 43 North program. So 43 North invests $5 million to companies every year and brings them to Buffalo, to high-growth companies and brings them to Buffalo. So we were part of the cohort for this year, and in addition to the investment, it came with other perks such as you know us having a free office space and them helping us to grow the company within the U.S. So that's how I found myself here, and I'm loving it so far. I mean, Sammy and I are both from the Buffalo area, so I, how, how, are you, how are you enjoying it? Do you like being in the Seneca One? ecosphere and being in Buffalo. Tell us a little bit about that. So Seneca one is great. I don't like the weather yet. I hear it gets better, but I moved here in the middle of winter. This was my first winter, so That's it tough. was a lot. It was tough. <laughs> yeah. It was a tough winter. It, it was. was. It was. Yeah. But I love it. Seneca one, the 43 North community has been great. The food is great. The people are amazing. I'm happy you came here because look at where it landed. Brett and I, <laughs> great opportunities. So with you starting this company, I'm sure so many people are wondering, like, what advice could you give? There are so many people who have these dreams and they want to start companies of their own but feel so lost. So is there anything you would suggest to people? Yeah, so I started my first company when I was 20 years old. I had no responsibilities, really. I had no expectations of myself. Um, so that really kind of put me in a position where I was able to make really dumb decisions. But I tend to find that people think overthink things a lot. You know, if you feel that you want to do something, you should go for it and fail. I am a huge advocate for failure. I feel that you should always try whatever you feel like trying. I do know that the, not everybody has the opportunities that I probably had to be able to, you know, make dumb decisions and get out of those decisions. But I feel like if you feel that you want to start a company, you don't always have to call it, oh, I'm starting a company, right? You could start it as a project and say, I feel very passionate about something and I want to start a project and see how that goes. And so it has been, for me, it has been five years of, trying and failing and trying and failing and that's really how you start this you never know what you're doing but you always have to jump out of the plane and build a parachute on your way down that's how i approach building a company don't overthink it start it and figure it out along the way okay so you you've built this company you have done all these really exciting things and these awesome studies so looking forward what's something that you're most excited about implementing going forward 
within the company, I think a lot of what we're really excited about implementing right now is just procedures and standards as to how the company should grow. It has been a very scrappy company from the beginning with me experimenting on my ideas to where we are now of having a full grown team. So I do feel that, you know, a lot of the exciting things moving forward is just around corporate structuring and having a little bit more structure, especially as the team grows and especially as we bring in more people to help us build this goal of democratizing clinical trial access. Um, yeah, that's really what I'm more ex most excited about implementing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think personally, I'm really excited to build out the academic side of things. And there's a lot of interest within people in academia, but I think it's just hard for them to get into Africa. So I think that we offer them something that really is enticing. And I think that it, we're building something really great. And I mean, I'm, I guess, Sammy, you being our, our head of marketing, what, what is something that you're excited to build for us? So I know this is definitely on a smaller scale, but I'm pretty excited about planning the event that we have coming up. Yes. I have never done an event before, and I am so excited to see how it turns out, to see the people that want to learn about us, want to learn about research in Africa and increasing diversity and bridging the gap. And uh, I love being a part of it, and I can't wait to see how it all plays out. Why, we, why do we start a podcast, right? I think I think it comes down to like ultimately brand awareness, right? You know, we got to get the word out there. A lot of the people, a lot of people don't know that we exist, and once they find out that we exist, right, they're like, "Holy cow! Look at all this stuff that we can do." So, um, what do you think that like starting a podcast? I mean, it's a lot of work, right? Obviously, and. Um, what do you think that it does for the company and how, how do you think it lets us expand? Yeah, so I think, you know, if you start a company and you don't tell anybody that you exist or you don't talk about it, you will sit on the company and you will never go anywhere. So I'm so excited about the podcast and thank you, Sammy, for suggesting this. Yeah. Because, you know, it's exciting to work with people that bring in fresh ideas and fresh perspectives. And I think starting this podcast is really just one of the ways that we want to get the message out and talk about what we do and let people know that this is an option. We've seen a lot of responses from, you know, pharma companies and researchers that we've been talking to. And we do see that this is a need. People are thinking about it and people are thinking, how do we access pop other populations to for clinical studies or for clinical trials? And they just don't know where to start. And so our goal for this podcast is to get the word out and let people know that we exist and this is something that is available to them. And I'm so excited to be working on it with you guys. Thank you. I think another big thing about starting the podcast is that it shows we're out there, but it also shows that we care. So a big part of the company is we're trying to recruit these participants for the research trials. In doing the podcast, we have this amazing platform to spread information through simple language and to deconstruct complicated ideas where research studies aren't so intimidating anymore to the potential participant. I think this is, I would love to see this podcast go somewhere where it's a platform for broadcasting what we are, but also information to gain people to come in and want to listen to us and be a part of something with us. And I mean, Melissa, bouncing off of what Sammy said, you know, aside from participants and researchers, you know, why, why should some 
why should somebody care about research or the outcomes of clinical research, especially, you know, with populations that are hard to reach, like in Africa? I think everybody should care about research because every decision that affects our daily lives, from the clothes you wear to, you know, the car you drive, is really as a result of years of research that lead people to making those sorts of conclusions. Um, clinical research, particularly, because everybody gets sick at some point, everybody goes to the doctor, right? And these drugs or these medical devices that we use when we go into the doctor's office are only only come about as a result of years of clinical trials and experimentation. I wonder how somebody will feel if you were to be made aware of the fact that a medical device would work better on you because you have a different complexion or color of skin, but would not be able to work on somebody else just because they are of a different skin tone. So I think everybody should care about this because today it's a problem affecting, you know, underrepresented minority uh, uh, populations, but it could really be a problem that could affect each of us in, in every part of our lives. It's definitely something that everybody should care about because the outcomes really affect us in one way or another. Yeah, and I think that that's something that throughout the pandemic, everybody has really realized that how important clinical trials are, especially in terms of like the uh, vaccine development and um, how much it's affected our lives. So with clinical trials, we're talking about increasing diversity and reaching out to minorities. And a big hesitancy in the minorities is the lack of understanding of how the trial is going to be executed or the lack of communication between the researcher and the participant. So how do you think we could help improve or other companies can improve literacy around clinical trials and why that's so important? That's a really great question, Sammy. And I think that's why it's important to have people work on this on very different levels. I come from Cameroon, which is a predominantly French-speaking country. I grew up speaking French. And a lot of the times, I saw things get lost in translation. And so when you're talking about literacy and education around clinical trials, I think it's important to understand that when you're dealing with people, people come from different liter literacy backgrounds. There are people that are more literate than others. There are people that need a little bit more time to understand the importance of certain decisions that they take. And that's really why we started Infuse, just to be able to build a safe space where we could put the participants as priority and make sure that they understood the implications of taking part in these studies. Like any new thing, the implications of it have to be known, have to be make, made known to whoever is taking part in these studies. And so the importance of us educating the participants and really collecting informed consent so that they know what they're getting themselves into. They know that you know, they're taking part in an experiment and not something that is already proven. But also the upsides, right? We're letting them know if this works, this could probably provide a solution to this problem that you have been facing. And even if it doesn't affect you, it could affect somebody else who is not you. So the importance of really breaking down these studies and letting people understand, irrespective of you know the languages that they speak or the cultural backgrounds that they come from, it's really important that we figure out how to build companies that enable access to different populations that handle the process of education and sensitization very differently. 
um, one of the big ways that, you know, Africa really differs from the U.S. is a lot of, I've been in the U.S. for a couple of months now, and I consume a lot of digital information. But Africa is a very social society. People still gather in circles and people still interact with each other. And as a result, the way that you will decimate information on a smartphone or on a tablet is different from decimating this information in a more social setting, in a setting of peers in a setting of people who are linked together by the same language or the same tribe and that really impacts the way we continue to educate and advocate for clinical trials within these populations so literacy and education and awareness around clinical trials is important and that's something that we take very seriously at Increase Health. So I mean yeah I mean you've really shown us how complex it can be and how much different it is um, from life in in the United States so with all the different languages and the different social structures, you know, what, where does consent play into that, doing this research? Can you talk us through a little bit of that? Consent is the most important part of the clinical trial process. Before anybody takes any drug or, you know, approves to even come onto a site, they have to provide consent to the fact that they are aware of what it is that they are about to take part in. And I think this is where a lot of companies again, U.S.-based companies who have run clinical trials in Africa have aired because they have failed to really break down this process of consent across the clinical trial participants that they recruit. And it's of no fault of theirs. Again, it's a complex environment where, you know, if you, if you want to recruit a participant in Africa, you have to think around the social structures that surround these participants. People in Africa don't come in ones. We come in families. We come, you know, in, in, in social groups. We come in groups of tribesmen and tribeswomen. And a lot of the times when you're thinking about consent, in the U.S., you think of a participant as an individual person, as a single person. In Africa, when you're thinking about consent, you're thinking about this person as an individual in addition to the social structures that surround them. So typically, you'd have to get consent from a participant and a family member in order for you to fully qualify a participant for clinical trials, which is probably not the same thing that happens here in the U.S., but it's definitely something that we have to think about across Africa. And it's not just, again, social structures. It's also, it also comes down to religious beliefs. If you're taking consent from a Muslim woman to you know, collect a swap, it's different from collecting consent from a woman who is not Muslim who is taking part in that same study. So there's a lot of factors that have to come into play, especially around collecting consent and around contextualizing this consent to fit with each individual participant that takes part in a study. It's important to treat each participant as an individual, but also think of the structures and the facilities that surround these individuals. And that's something that we take very seriously as well with running these clinical trials in this geography. Melissa, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us today. And Brett, you as well. To our listeners out there, we are going to be having many more podcasts to come. Stay tuned. And keep updated with our LinkedIn, our blog, on our website, and our Twitter. And we will see you guys soon. Special guest next time, guys. Yeah. <laughs>